All right, I'm going to pray. We'll get into it. God, I want to thank you for grace and mercy and love and thank you that you do reign. No matter what we think, no matter how we're feeling, you do reign. And this morning, I want to thank you for the word that you've given us from your word. And I pray that my words, the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So last week, we finished chapter 16 in the Gospel of John. Jesus ends that, they call it, the, the scholars will call it the final discourse. He ends that telling his disciples this. He says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now that to me is very good news because no matter what, no matter who, no matter what's happening in your life, no matter what comes at you hard, what comes at you slow, no matter how painful or how broken, ultimately, Jesus has overcome the world. And he has begun to make it right. And he has begun to make it beautiful and whole again. You see, I guess it comes down to this. Jesus, Jesus wins. God, God wins. In the end, when it all comes to, when it all plays out, God wins. His plan works out exactly how he planned. Because he's God. Now this words to the disciples, take heart, I've overcome the world are really kind of the last teaching that he's going to give to the boys before he is crucified, before he is hung on the cross. And so after he speaks to them, he looks up to heaven, he begins to pray. And this is chapter 17 of John, and it's commonly referred to as the high priestly prayer. This is what it's traditionally called. It's probably called that in the heading of your Bible. But it's as I read that whole chapter, even we're going to look at the first 19 verses today, but as I read that, it's so very different from the prayers that the priest of Jesus' day would have prayed. You know, he is about to be killed. He's about to be hung on the cross. He's about to be tortured. He's about to have the wrath of God on his shoulders, and he is going to pray. And it's a prayer that's He's not, he's not depressed. He's not saddened. He's not stressed out about it. All of this is coming down on him. And Jesus, he is going to pray to his father and pray for his disciples. And there's this, I just feel this sense of, of joy in the words, of, of, um, of fulfillment, of his obedience, of, of expectation. There's a joyful expectation in the way he prays. It's almost like he already knows that God has answered his prayer. I mean, wouldn't you, don't you long to have that posture in your prayer life? Joyful expectation. How many of you really pray that way? Expecting the Lord to do something. You see, I believe prayers like that come from the deep intimacy that Jesus had with his father, the deep relationship that they had together allowed him 
to know and to understand the Father's will, allowed him to walk step by step in stride with the Father, ultimately giving him the assurance that he will answer his prayers. And so we're going to look at, we're going to start to look at this prayer in chapter 17 of John. Uh, We're going to read the first 19 verses. I want you to get an understanding of it in the context, but I'm only going to kind of grab a hold of one idea in all those 19 verses. And I might, I don't know where uh, the Lord will lead me next week. We might just go right on to the next part or there might be something else in there. So I'm just going to put this on the screen. There's a lot to read. Okay. Here we go. Verse one. After Jesus said this, he looked up toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you for you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those who those you have given him. Now this is eternal life that they know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do and now father glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed you sent me. I pray for them, not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours." All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now. But I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word and the world has hated them. They are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. This is the beginning of the prayer that Jesus prays what seems to be in front of his disciples before he's going to be hung on the cross. Now there's a lot going on in here, so we're going to just take a look at the first five verses. And it reads like this. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may, be glor- may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before the world began. Jesus looks up to heaven, which is a very common posture of his day, and he begins to pray. And his prayer is a very intimate prayer with his father. In fact, he calls him, he calls him daddy. 
He has a relationship with God the Father as father and son would have a relationship today. There's intimacy. There's knowing each other. There is openness. There is, there is honesty. And so, so Jesus calls him. He says, he says, hey, Dad, glorify me so that I can glorify you. And there's no fear in his words. There's no, there's no intimidation. He's going to the father and calls him daddy. And I know that many times some of, I've heard people pray, you know, and, and, they, and they say those words instead of saying father or Lord, they say, they say daddy. But I wonder how much they really mean that. I wonder how much they really believe that the father has opened up his arms to his children and receives us just like children. So Jesus, his dad, got some things to ask you. And he goes on through this, through this prayer, and it's just this innocent honesty as he prays. And he asks him, the hour has come, glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. Jesus wants the father to glorify him so that in return, Jesus can glorify the father. You see, what he's not asking here, he's not asking, hey, Dad, hey, Dad, can you, can you finally make those people who don't like me, can you make them like me just for a little while now? He's not asking his father, hey, Dad, you know, I wish that I could just really win once, really show these people who I am and, t- and remove all doubt from them. He's not asking the father to make him special. You know what Jesus is asking for here? He's asking for the cross. He's asking to be crucified because he knows that through the cross, he will be glorified. And through that experience, the Father will receive the glory. Jesus is asking for his crucifixion. You see, in the eyes of the world, the cross is shame and humiliation and defeat. In the eyes of the world, the cross was where you hung the most vile, lowest criminals, where they would suffer and finally die. The cross represented to to the, the leaders, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, that finally they got rid of this guy who's been causing them so much trouble. But for Jesus, he asks for the cross. Glorify me. Let me glorify you. For him, it was something very different. For him, it was victory. For him, it was victory. It's the consummation of everything that Jesus was on earth. Everything he taught, everything he did in perfect obedience, self-denying, self-emptying obedience to the Father's will. That's what the cross was for him. And it was victory. And because of the cross, God has allowed him, has given him the authority to bring eternal life to all of humanity. Jesus has been given all power and all authority that he might give eternal life to all those who God has given him, but yet he's given it to all humanity. Even there on the cross, Jesus brought people to life. But as I read in these scriptures, these are the hard truths of the Bible. Sometimes the Bible is difficult. Sometimes the Bible doesn't fit right and feel good to us, but we can't deny these truths. You see, the, the, the fact is, 
some people are not going to accept or choose who Jesus is. Some people will not have eternal life. And I know that in today's world, there's a lot of debate over this idea of heaven and hell. Who's in? Who's out? How do you get in? How much does it take to get in? Maybe, is everybody going? Is nobody actually going to be there? In fact, Rob Bell, he wrote a book not too long ago called Love Wins. Anybody read it? A few of you read it? He, he wrote this book, and he wanted to explain through his philosophy what heaven and hell is all about. And in his, if I can just water it down really briefly, entire book, he is, his premise is this, that in the end, love wins. God's love wins. And in the end, you will be given a choice after you die of whether or not you want to go to heaven or not. You got one last shot at it. It doesn't matter how you lived your life. It doesn't matter what you believe during your life, that when you die, the love of God will tell you, you got one last shot, man. Choose. And even, even he talks about in the book of Revelations, when the doors of the new, the, uh, the new Jerusalem are they're left open for a reason, so that people can come and go. So they can leave the new city and go out into the wilderness, which would represent not heaven. And so, and so, and, and so the leaders of evangelical worlds today really got down on him, calling him a universalist, calling him, you know, he's checked out. I mean, they're really mean to him. The, the Christian leaders weren't very Christian to him. Now, I've read the book, and there are many things that feel very universalist in their theology, things that I, a lot of it I don't agree with. But, you know, some of the things that he talks about, you can't deny. And then, not too long ago, Francis Chan came out with a book called Erasing Hell. And very eloquently, and very humbly, he writes with the interpretation of Scripture and defends the, the theology that some people will be eternally separated from God. And he doesn't poke fingers, he doesn't make fun of, he's not mean about it at all. Now, if you are kind of stuck in this, I'm not really sure about heaven or hell and the theology of it, the book Erasing Hell by Francis Chan is a must-read for you. It is a must-read. And I would recommend reading Love Wins, too, because you want to fully understand why you believe the things that you believe. But I digress. Anyway, where was I? Jesus has been given the authority over all people. and He's been given that authority to give eternal life to everyone. And that's and, and some people aren't going to choose it. And I know that's politically incorrect to say. And I wish, I really wish there was another way. I really wish that I know people that have made a choice not to believe, not to follow Christ. And the scriptures are clear. And I really wish, I really wish it wasn't true. But I have to believe everything in the Bible. Not just the things that make me feel good. Not just the things that are easy for me to believe. And what we'll see Jesus say here, I believe, supports this, this theology, this idea of knowing God brings you to eternal life. Because what does he say? Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 
This idea of knowing God, the way it's kind of written, the way it kind of flows, it's not about you have this perfect understanding of who God is. You don't have any more questions. It all's just flowing nicely in your brain. You've got it all figured out. Pretty much you have arrived. That's not what it's saying here. This is not about you being able to explain to me the doctrine of the Trinity. Good luck with that. This is about process. This is about the journey. This is about growing, wrestling, intention within your faith. Because as I read the scriptures, those are the things that grab a hold of me. It's not always easy. Jesus knows that we don't get it all at once. That we're just not going to figure this thing out in our lifetime. And that it's a very slow, progressive motion towards knowing the Father, towards knowing Jesus. I wish I can tell you it was very linear, very process-oriented. It's just like one step forward, one step forward. That's not the way it is. Anybody following Christ knows that many times it's two steps forward. It's three steps back. You stumble to the right. You stumble to the left. You fall down. You pick yourself back up again. Sometimes you're in sync. Sometimes you're out of sync. That's it's part of the journey. And that's part of getting to know God. The process is learning and growing deeper in intimacy with the Father. The process is learning and growing in intimacy with the Father. This is eternal life. Eternal life is something not only in the future, something for today, something for now, something for when you leave this place, something for next week, something that you can engage your entire life. And for those of you who've been hanging around here long enough, this should not be a new idea for you. Eternal life is for today, not only a future thing that happens to you when you die with your soul. God, to know God through Jesus Christ, is the path to eternal life. And that path leads us to heaven. But that's only part of the story. It's only part of the picture. We cannot neglect the continual revelation of God through Christ, a continual deepening of our knowing him, of our intimacy, of our relationship with him. You know, the word eternal here means that which has no beginning or no ends. Something that is always. See, eternal life doesn't start. It is. It doesn't start somewhere in the future for you. It is. I was trying to figure out how I can kind of explain this so I could actually understand it a little bit better. And I came up with this analogy. Think of, think of the Mississippi River. All right, I know it has a beginning and it has an end, and I get that. But just say you're away from the beginning and you're away from it, and you're right in the middle, and it's really big, and it's this massive amount of water flowing. You have two choices. You can either stand on the shore and watch it flow by, or you can get into the water and be carried away by the stream. And see, that's kind of, I think, what, what I believe what eternal life is. You get into the stream of who God is, of knowing God, and you are swept away in that harmony. You are swept away in that, in that water, in that river. And you don't fight against it. You just, you just go with it. And you learn more and more as you go. This is eternal life. That people would know God 
and people would know Jesus. This is where the journey of knowing finds itself in God, the journey of his revelation. And you know, Jesus, he's, he's, he's wrecking things for his disciples right now. They have been taught over and over again that eternal life is something that happens when you die. That it's this constant uh, state of being when you die. It's an escape from this world. This world is hard. It's got problems. It's not fun to be in sometimes. And eventually, one day, you will be given the gift of eternal life. You are going to be out of here, and you're going to be in heaven. And that's when it begins. But that's not what Jesus is trying to explain here. It is not an escape. It is not you leaving. It's something for for today. There's something exciting about it today. There's something of purpose in it today. To know God today. Today. Did I mention today? This moment? Right now. Today. You can choose to be in the stream of eternal life or not. And then as this prayer goes on, Jesus just... I love the way he talks to, to God because he's almost like reminding the father of the things that they've done together, reminding him of, of what they've accomplished. You know, I've, I've given them your word and they believe it and your word is truth and, and I've protected them and the world hates them and I'm leaving, but they're staying. And I'm not praying for the world, but, but I really want to, I'm praying for them. And he goes on in this beautiful poetic prayer, asking God to bless his disciples. And then to, at, the, at, the, at the end of this portion of the text is this, is verse 14 and 15, and I really believe he, he then again attaches himself to this idea of eternal life for today. That's not just this thing in the future, but it's something for today. Look at verse 14. I've given you them, I've given them your word, and the world hates them. They are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Jesus has gifted his disciples with the very word of God. That means that God's entire message that he wanted to give to humanity has finally come to fruition. That Jesus has, or that God has sent Jesus and Jesus has done the work. He has given the entire word of God, God's revelation to his disciples. And maybe they don't fully understand it. And maybe we don't fully understand it. That's why the Bible always is revealing itself deeper and deeper to each person who would take the time to engage it. You will always learn something more as you read, as you meditate, as you think about it. But God's word has been given to the world. And because of the message, because of that word, the world doesn't like the disciples. Darkness does not like the light. And they are no longer part of the world. They're no longer part of the old way of doing things. See, something new is happening to them. We share this affinity with Jesus in his holiness because not only is Jesus not part of the world, but either are we. We share in the holiness of Jesus. Do you understand the depth of that? You share in the holiness of Jesus. And the world's not going to like you. But you have been given the word of God. 
And something different is taking place in them and will continue to take place in them. And they are changing and they are being transformed. Now, look at the next words that Jesus speaks. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. Guess what? You don't get to run away. You don't get to leave. You don't get to check out. It's not about escaping. It's about being here today, now, in the world. We don't get to just leave. Do you you understand how disastrous it would be for the world if people became Christian? Let's just say they've accepted Christ and they get swooped away to heaven. Guess what? If that happened, none of you would know Christ because only the select few back 2,000 years ago would have known him because they would have been swooped away. It would have been disastrous. And it's the same way for us today. It is disastrous if we don't get out into the world and live our faith. It's the way God uses us, wants to use us, wants to use his church. Our place as followers of Christ is in this world. He has chosen you. People, us, broken people, to reflect back the kingdom to others. And so here we are. We're living and we're working. We're being challenged. And at times we're, we're suffering and we're engaging in the brokenness. And it's, it's not easy. I get it. But we're called to be in this world. You know what I love about us as a church? We're not, we're not an inbred church. Let me explain. Many of you have friends outside of this community of faith. Many of you have friends outside of this community of faith that don't even go to church, that don't engage faith on any level. That is really, really cool. You have pagans for friends. Right? I wouldn't say, does anybody not believe in Jesus? No, I'm only kidding. And so we are not, in in fact, in fact, it's really hard to get you people to do something church-related. We decided that since we got this beautiful new building that God has blessed us with, and we got a grill out there, we're going to do once a month, we're going to have a cookout, and everybody's going to, I'm thinking, everybody's going to want to be here. How cool is that? And so we did it in June, and, and people came, and it was really good, and, and we had fellowship, and we had, I mean, it was, and then July came around, and one family signed up, and we canceled. And I was really aggravated with you all, until I realized that maybe you're just out in the world, loving and living with people. And see, that's way more important than a cookout here. Though, you know, you can come once in a while to the cookout, it won't kill you, but I'm just, you know, I'm just saying, um, but, but, you know, we're, we're, not, we're not that type of church where it's just, we're going to hunker down and it's all about us. You are living in the world. And you are exactly where God wants you to be. And you are exactly where Jesus has prayed for God to keep you. But there is a danger. 
And I need to talk about that this morning. There's something that can be dangerous. We have to be continually aware of. We are in this world, but church, we cannot become part of it. We are in this world, but we cannot become part of it. Jesus prays that we will be protected from the evil one. And if there's any doubt of who that is, that's the devil. That's the big guy. That's to do with the horns, the red suit, the pointy tail, and the pitchfork. Maybe. We cannot become part of this world. And see, Satan is very subtle. If he can't have your soul, he's going to get at you in other ways. If he can't have your soul, his next best thing is to make you ineffective for God's kingdom. His next best thing is to make you so busy that you can't live for God's kingdom. That you don't have time to pray. That you don't have time to be in the word. That you don't have time to serve people outside these walls. If he can't have your soul, he is going to distract you. He wants to keep you from knowing your father more and more and more. Because he knows that if you grow deeper in your knowledge and intimacy with God, then the more power and authority you will walk in. And the more power and authority that you walk in, that means the more the darkness is pushed back because of the light that you're shining. And the more of the darkness that is pushed back in this world, the more that you will see the kingdom of God find its place here. And And the devil does not want that to happen. And so he's going to try to distract you. He's going to try to keep you busy so that your intimacy with the Father lessens. I believe the way he starts is he kind of gets, and this is the evil one, he kind of gets in here. He kind of gets to your heart. See, the, the journey to God is an inward journey. And, and if he can get in here, St. John of the Cross, he writes this, to undertake a journey to God, the heart must be burned with the fire of divine love and purified of all its creatures. Now, what he's, what he's saying is that the journey to God is an internal journey. It's an inward journey of your heart. And in order to journey closer to God, he's got to get in there and he's got to get rid of that junk that's distracting you. He's got to get rid of that junk that's keeping you from knowing him more and more. And the only way to do that is to open your heart up to the refining fire of God's love and let him do his work. Now, I know when I, when I wrote that and I was thinking about that, that sounds so hallmark, doesn't it? I mean, you find that at, at the opening up a nice greeting card. Oh, the refining fire of God's love. Let me tell you this about that. It's not made for a hallmark card because God's refining fire can be painful and it could hurt and it burns. It gets your attention. Because we are so entrenched in the junk that lays deep within our hearts. And even at our best, we don't want to let it go, but we can still open ourselves up and let God's work be God's work. 
but it's the beginning of the journey of being in this world and not of it. Now, I'm going to tell you where y'all need to start. Here's my self-help sermon. I do one every, probably my only one. Here's where I want you to start with this idea of opening your heart, allowing the refining fire of God to get in there, allowing yourself to walk in this world and not become part of it. God needs to start with your ego. Oh, some of you got an ego. I have an ego. And God has been showing me the ugliness of my own ego. It's the, it's the foundation of the distractions in your life. It's the, the very beginning of you moving away from God. Many times when you're frustrated with people, because you have an ego problem, when you get angry at people, not all the time, but many times, you got an ego problem. See, the ego says, I deserve, I want, I should have this. Why didn't you do that? You know what? You should have done that. You haven't met my expectation. That's what the ego loves to feed into your heart. Loves to feed that into your mind. The only thing we deserve is hell. But through the grace of God, we've been saved from that. Sin comes from deep within that place of our own ego. Sin is the consequence of I want, I deserve, I should. You haven't, you should have. Why didn't you? That's, sin is the consequence of that attitude. The ego needs to be heard, and it needs to be seen, and it needs to be uh, made to feel special, and it needs to be right. And you can begin by opening your heart the refining fire of God by letting him melt away that in your life. See, the more you become distracted, the more ineffective you are for the kingdom. And the more ineffective you are for the kingdom, you will find yourselves part of this world. You know, the very beginning, when Satan came on the scene and he tempted Eve he spoke to that ego inside her. Genesis. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so what happens Eve starts to think about this. Wow, I can get more. I deserve more. I should have this. It's a good-looking tree. It's got some good-looking fruit on it. Maybe I'll just have some because I deserve it. He spoke right to her ego problem. And the man, well, he's got an ego problem because he blames her. Oh, it was the woman's fault. We've been doing it ever since. But anyway, I mean, so... It's the beginning of releasing yourself from the things of God in this world. Next time you're aggravated with somebody, 
Stop and think. Why are you aggravated? Why are you upset? Why are you angry? And maybe it's not because there's something going on inside you. Maybe, maybe this person really needs to be a little bit angry at. But begin to self-analyze because the journey toward God is an inward journey. The journey toward God is an inward journey. Let me read you that quote again from St. John of the Cross. To undertake a journey to God, the heart must be burned with the fire of divine love and purified of all its creatures. God, I want to thank you for your word this morning. I want to thank you that... I want to thank you for the work you're doing in me. I want to thank you for the work that you're just doing in our church. I want to thank you for the work that you're doing in, in everybody here, Lord. I'm excited to see... I'm excited to see lives changing. I'm excited to see people growing. I'm excited to see your name being glorified and praised. Father, I pray that we would never rob you of your glory, but that we would always give credit where credit is due. I want to thank you for moving us along on this journey. And Lord, my prayer is that you do not remove us from this world, but you would protect us from the evil one that we would not become part of this world, but we would stand firm on the foundation of Jesus Christ and move in that stream of eternal life for here and for now. Thank you, Lord. Amen.